Thanks for pressing play on the real-time 3D in education podcast. My name is Mike Washburn. When you get the chance to put a bunch of brilliant educators together in a room and talk to them and have them share their experiences, you do it. What you're about to hear is not the first official episode of the podcast, but a special episode. A panel presentation recorded live at ISTE 2022 in New Orleans with Jim Pedrick, Melissa Renchi, and Ryan McGinnis. Throughout the panel, you'll hear them talk about the amazing work they've done in their classrooms and their thoughts on the future of real-time technology and education. Let's get into it. Welcome, everybody. Um, my, my name is Mike Washburn, and this is uh, Teacher Stories Integrating Epic Tools in the Classroom. I'm going to let everyone here introduce themselves individually, um, but we're really excited to, to talk with you all about, about Epic Tools in the Classroom and what, in particular, these three folks are doing in the classroom. They're all doing kind of different things, and they're all equally exciting and absolutely fascinating. And, they're all brilliant people. So, um, you know, in, uh, connecting with them and learning from them and just hearing what they're doing is sure to inspire you. Um, I'd love to have you guys share your your journeys through um, ed tech and game-based learning and what brought you kind of to standing and sitting, I guess, in front of uh, this crowd today. Okay. Go Hi. ahead. Hello, Melissa Renchi. I come from Redmond, Washington. Um, I have been teaching for 18 years in the same district, and my pathway to kind of games-based learning came um, because I was a teacher that, of course, has to work over the summer. So I was a summer camp counselor and then a director. What? And so my job as this director was at a computer camp. And we were doing content for robotics, and there was some stuff with Lego Mindstorms. But then we also got to do um, flash programming and game design. And that was like my thing where I'm like, game design is actually really cool. And then you bring in that programming piece. So then a little while later, as I started looking at what could I bring into my classrooms, I also look at a certificate at University of Washington that was designed for teaching game design elements. And I thought, oh, great, I'm going to learn how to program in C++ or C Sharp. Yeah, that didn't happen that way. What I ended up getting was all that education about how to make games, how to work collaboratively to work on games, game strategy, how to make games replayable. So that was that piece that kind of got me thinking, wait a minute, this is really awesome to learn how to work collaboratively as a team to design a game. And then it became an opportunity, like, how do I bring this into the classroom? So we started with board games, but then we've slowly been bringing in digital options. And so that's where my passion is now, is kind of running the whole gamut, but getting people to work collaboratively. Nice. So, oh, yeah, don't need that that close. Hi, I'm Ryan McGinnis. Uh, uh, I am a professional development specialist with CA BOCES during the day, but I also work with uh, I2E for, like, part-time uh, on the side. And that is focused on training teachers in whatever they need. A lot of it's been focused on Minecraft and the Unreal Accelerator courses as well. And that's just all been recent. I've been in teaching for 17 years in education. Uh, I've been an administrator for two years. That was not for me, which is I like to keep my hair. That's not <laughs> happening in, in uh, administration. And now finding that passion of working with teachers and tying that in. After year 10 of fifth grade teaching, they're like, hey, we want to start a STEM lab. And you look like the person who could handle that. And I'm like, sure, I can kind of handle that. And we were looking for curriculum to use because it was all brand new in Pennsylvania. And we started with Kodu Game Lab, yeah. 
which was what got us wow. started. Right? Yeah, so that's, that's probably better. the most obscure reference Love there it. is. But we started with that, and my kids were hooked instantly, and then it became like, what can you do next? So that was awesome to see these third, fourth, and fifth graders start to be like, okay, this is what makes learning fun. This is what's getting them engaged. And ever since then, I've been hooked into the ed tech world, just trying to find more ways of getting students engaged, uh, giving them some voice and choice to really showcase what it is that they understand in education uh, through different pathways. Awesome. Thanks. Hi, everyone. My name is Jim Padreck. Uh, I am an innovation consultant uh, at the London District Catholic School Board, which is about halfway between Detroit and Toronto. My town actually has t-shirts made that say halfway between Detroit and Toronto because no one ever finds us. Um, so I'm going to date myself. I'm going to say that uh, my journey started with the Commodore 64. Yeah, there you go. Uh, trying to make content on that. I used to get those magazines um, with the code, the machine code in the back, and you spend hours inputting that stuff and you get a game that was absolutely horrible. You remember that, right? Yeah, there you go. Um, then I, then I was off games for a while, and it wasn't until uh, I was in my 20s that I kind of fell in love with games again. And it started when um, I went to, I had just bought a PlayStation, and I went into a, a video game rental store, remember when those existed, right? And I said, look, I've only been playing NHL whatever year that was. I need something different. And uh, the guy said, I've got this game for you called Silent Hill. And I said, okay, it sounds good. He said, okay, but here's how you have to play it. You have to go home, you have to play it late at night with the lights off, oh. and no one else home. So oh. sounds good to he me. So set, I did he that. He was setting you up. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> and we all know how that went. Uh, but I, I kind of fell in love with games again. And then uh, when I started getting into teaching, I was thinking, like, how can I bring that love of games into the classroom? And I didn't come from the same sort of um, science or design perspective that a lot of other people did. I came from more like a narrative perspective because I'm an English and history teacher. So I started building games like, how can I teach grammar to kids and get them to avoid comma splices and few sentences? So I started, I made a video game where those are actually supervillains and they speak in the errors that they tend to make, right? Or instead of having students prepare for the OSSLT, which is a standardized test uh, in, um, in Ontario, uh, by having them just do questions, I said, well, it's supposed, one of the elements is they're supposed to know how to write a news article. What if they play a game that teaches them how to write a news article, right? So that's where I kind of started with that whole premise. And um, now I'm much more interested in getting students to be involved with the game production process itself. That's amazing. It actually reminds me of why I started doing games-based learning was because I was so upset that kids hated history. I was like, that, yeah. that can't, it shouldn't be that way at all. Uh, so, like, all of my lens of game-based learning and video games and game design was always through social studies because I love history. And I learned to love history from a video game. I, Civilization II was the game I grew up on, and I have 1,700 hours in Civ Five. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Civilization, uh, 100%. Um, and so, it, you know, it, it reminds me of that for sure. That was Carmen Sandiego. Yeah. Yes. I'm still looking for where she is. <laughs> Amazing. So you're all doing very, oh, I almost said very unique, and I actually shouldn't say that. I, I don't like saying very unique. You're all doing unique things in the classroom with uh, Epic Tools. It's a sorry, side note. Um, amazing things in the classroom, and I'd love you, for you to share uh, as much as you can about what you're working on, 
um, and how you're using Epic tools in the classroom, how the students have reacted, you know, the, the experiences and the outcomes. I'd love to hear all about that. So, uh, certainly. So, I think one of the coolest things is we're in this room together learning about Unreal and, and uh, Twinmotion, all these epic tools, for the last few days. Um, I still, I was telling you the story, I remember going to an educational conference, when it was the first time I ever was presenting at one, and my topic was video games and games in the classroom. No one showed up for my session. <laughs> and, and, I, I, and I, I remember this because I actually talked to someone who I barely knew, as, I was a new teacher on the board, and said, she said, like, do you see there's a session on video games? Who's going to go to that? And I'm not making that up. And she didn't realize I was the one actually doing it, right? And so out of pity, the organizers sent up all the teens who had been, who had been volunteering that day to work at the conference just so someone would be at my session. We had a good time. But it's, it's interesting how far it's come, right? Um, and now we're at a point where so our, our ability to create things with un, the Unreal Engine and with Twinmotion is, is so cool. So what we've been doing is uh, we've been building a uh, museum in the Unreal Engine featuring um, historical artifacts that my students have scanned using a technique called photogrammetry. And we use that technique to create 3D versions, 3D models of those historical artifacts and we embed them in the museum. And so now we're creating this walkthrough experience. Um, I wish I could say that we had the computers that were powerful enough to have the students do the work on Unreal. I'm the one who's kind of pulling everything together, but it allows us to pull in work from students from other schools as well. So I worked with um, Standing Stone uh, Elementary of the Oneida Nation to help their students scan the artifacts from their community and add those as well. And so like my ultimate goal, I would love this museum to have one room each room dedicated to the work of a different class somewhere in the world, right? Like how cool would it be to have a class on the other side of the, of the planet, scan their work, uh, send it to us, we put it in the museum, and then they describe why that stuff is culturally significant. And then you can walk through this whole museum, like it's first person perspective, just like a first person video game. And you can walk through this whole museum and, and see this work scanned by students. Like that's the ultimate goal for me, yeah. My perspective is slightly different only because I'm focusing on the professional development side. Um, we're trying to get with our students in New York State, but we have a giant state of student privacy law that kind of gets in the way right now. Uh, so we're working our way around that. But most of our professional development work for I2E, we've been working with you know, Stride Learning, uh, helping get the, the remote teachers involved with some different programs. And we've seen really great success stories. I know, I know Chelsea Vernado and Ashley Weiss are here during the Accelerator. They've taken to that and, and really rolled it out in the classrooms really well to a great reception. And, and their, their experiences with it, they were self-professed non-gamers, but I hate to use that phrase because it makes everybody's not a gamer, right? Uh, but they took to it really fast and they said, wow, I can see all of these applications. And for a special education teacher, for a mathematics uh, integrator, they were just really looking for something that could really enhance the integration techniques and getting those motivational skills in for the students. And this is what does that. So it's really exciting to see that. Uh, our summer's been dotted with uh, accelerator courses and Fortnite trainings. And it's just been really fun and exciting. And I keep thinking, like, I get paid to play with Fortnite. Uh, and teach other people how to use it. So that's great. Uh, and I want to ask a question. So y you do a lot of PD for teachers. Yeah. I I'm curious about what the teacher's reception of that is, especially new teachers who have never encountered anything like this before and seeing this for the first time. What, what, are, what are your experiences like? What, what do you think of when you think of their reactions? Um, and ha have you heard any stories like 
coming out of those experiences yes. uh, that are that are standing out to you? So, I mean, like, with Ashley and Chelsea, they've been rock stars since they've done that. And they're here. They're standing in the Microsoft booth downstairs for Minecraft helping uh, as, as ambassadors. So they took that and ran with it and became ambassadors within six months. Uh, for Minecraft, and that was cool to see. And now they're hitting the, the ground running this summer with more programs for their students. So we know it works, we know it's out there. The initial reaction usually is like a little hesitation, uh, uh, something new, something different. It's, it's outside of everybody's comfort zone. It was outside of my comfort zone. I know when I sat through that accelerator, I talked to Nathan there in the back, I'm like, this is a lot, and I'm not sure what I'm gonna do with this, but I'll figure it out. And I spent probably January and February on my own, at my own pace, on my own device, just finding my way through it. And now I'm like, this is so powerful. The, the way that this, this stuff works, it's just mind-blowing how easy it is to, to dive in. And the, the material's well-written, easily digestible. There's tutorial videos that are super helpful that the supports are in place for everybody to be successful. So even though I'm one of those non-gamers to start off with, I was like, you know what? I'm going to internalize that. I'm going to accept that as a challenge. And it was impressive to see how far we're coming to now we're leading all of these accelerators and, and classes with Fortnite. That's awesome. Very cool. I think we're back to what we're doing in the classroom, right? Yeah. Okay. So um, some people maybe attended the session where I did engineering with my students. So. I teach a class that's like an introduction to engineering and entrepreneurship. So the piece that I enjoy is my kids developing a product, but it's, in, it's a kind of a full package of the product. You go from designing your characters, you go to storyboarding what this is gonna look like. And Jess here had a great session today on storyboarding. So I don't have all the tools for it, but it was so cool because I could just think of how you bring that into game design itself. And so where we're heading, and then Heba, thank you today for the uh, Minecraft project because what they were talking about is a whole idea of bringing in the eSports piece. So we did some eSports th this year with Minecraft, but what I see happening next year in the fall is I'm going to give students total choice on the games that they create. Because some kids are coming in with a higher level of, of content knowledge of Minecraft and they might look at it and go, oh, I'm going to make a Minecraft game with my friends, great. And then, But if we tell them, hey, what about if you do it in in Unreal, then it starts to level that playing field for them. They can still play other people's games, but they'll also be able to design themselves. And so my lens is always looking at things from that perspective of having my students be producers and then making content engaging for users. And so they're always designing, and that's where the entrepreneurship piece comes into, is who's your customer? What are they going to think of your product? And then the best part is, how do you redesign this project? After somebody's given you feedback, they've given you really good feedback, you have to show that that actually went into your final product. And um, Kathy is back here, and so is Steve. And I do want to give a shout out because I didn't give you the perspective on what it's like to teach in my, my district, but one of the things that was the hardest is software approval. And so Kathy and, and Steve were really instrumental in a process that I've never seen go quickly. And I asked Kathy if it was okay to say it because I always feel like, am I volunteering you for extra work? But if you're a teacher who's looking at this and you're like, oh, I gotta tell them about single sign-on and now we're gonna have to worry about how do they store student information? How do I get it installed? So in my case, it's a little bit different from Jim because we have, I teach a CTE course. So we have some laptops that we can use in the lab so their student laptops are like 
they're garbage, honestly. And they keep them for four years, which I don't think makes any sense at all. It's basically like a, it's like a phone. They get a phone for four years, and then we give them these CTE laptops that they can only use while they're in the classroom. So it just means that they're gonna have a beefy computer that they can use, and then they go home and they can't work on it, which maybe isn't a bad idea for some of our kids, because there is always that piece of, yeah, I know you're going to stay up some odd hours of the night working on a project, and I almost want you to have to work in here and me get to see your progress and have other people see your progress. And then I do have one more thing to add in is the twin motion piece. And that was the piece when I presented on Monday was how we've used twin motion to do things like 3D building in cardboard and then put it into twin motion. And it's for students to then present their content. And that becomes that piece that's the most impactful, I think, for my students to realize how spatial their visual understanding is of content. And so those are the pieces. And then, wait, one more thing. Just one more thing. I'm going to listen to you talk all day. You mean it? Yeah. <laughs> um, the last thing I would say is we're now, re we had to buy one good computer because we are going to use um, an HTC um, headset. And so now that I'm going to have some students will be designing. And we had one student do it, but he was doing it from home. But they're going to bring in VR. So one laptop. One, one group of people. So it'll be a small scale, but that's where we're, some of the things we're doing. Amazing. I, I've said for years as I've done various talks on game-based learning, I'm gonna go back to Rinchy for a second, um, about the idea that not all kids wanna press the buttons. Not all kids wanna play the games and be the, the gamer. And, and not all kids want to engage in that way. And I think that maybe what you're doing speaks to a little bit of that, and maybe you can, you can help us out by thinking through and talking through the idea that, um, you know, you would have a class of 20, 30 kids, and there's a percentage of those kids that wouldn't, you know, feel comfortable with, like, I'm not a gamer, I don't play games, mm -hmm. I don't want to, I, I even had, I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't play games, this doesn't, I read books, I got once. Oh, and that's, I got one and, and I mean, that's cool, but that's, you know, I, I'd love to hear you speak to your, your kids who are not the button pressers, are not the ones mm -hmm. that, that wanna, that engage in games, and how you were able to connect with them, um, or, or not, or whatever the challenges might have been, and some of the outcomes related to having kids be fully immersed in, in, in their work? Uh, so my goal is always to be, have a more diverse student population that comes into our school. So it's a blind lottery and we can only, you know, we pick out 160 kids' names out of a hat and those are the 160 kids that get invited to come. And uh, uh, predominantly there's been more male population um, applying and so we're trying to work on that. But in the meantime, I have to work with what I have, which is 60, 40 of those students who identify um, with a gender and so what we're trying to do is get projects that everybody wants to do and they have a bunch of choice so some of the things that I've had from reflections is kids that go I've never even touched Minecraft before and I always think what? I don't understand that but there are some some of our um, you know females typically who haven't used Minecraft and they they give me that reflection like I'd never done it before but the I think the hook for those kids was esports like to see that competition and making something they like the collaboration piece they like also applying sustainable development goals to their project so if it has a kind of a purpose and an intent 
And then I do have a book a student, and I will tell this story because I just loved it this year at the end. She um, loved her, um, she loved like listening to podcasts. She was really interested in all that. So of course, when it came time to make a game, she and a team decided they were gonna make a game about Legolas and they were doing the Lord of the Rings. And they spent so much time animating these characters with, I wanna say it was either Pixel or something else, but they did these beautiful like block characters and then they put them into the game and it was just, it was, it was the hook for her, you know, to watch her be so excited about making this game and, and the Lord of the Rings look to it, it was beautiful. It's amazing. And Jim, I I wanted to ask you, did, did, did any of you had? Well, I was, I was yeah, gonna, no, go. No, I was just thinking that um, like one of my mantras with teaching is, why does every kid have to do the same thing? Right. Like, there's, there's no reason, right? So going back to that question, uh, you asked Melissa, I would think that if there's a student who interested in isn't interested in games, that's not the end of the world. There are lots of other texts you could use. I would say, however, that just like it's really strange to hear someone say, I don't like movies, like you just don't like any movies, like novels and, and traditional works of literature and film, TV and games now, I think are diverse enough that you can find something for everyone. So I think sometimes the people who say, I'm not into games, have a really narrow definition of what a game is, right? So I think, I think there's probably an opportunity to introduce them to other ways of thinking about that as well, right? And it opens up so many doors because it, and I think that's super fair. Games have in the past been associated with, you know, um, Fortnite. And maybe not Fortnite is the bad example, but like CSGO even, right? And like shooting games. Like, and when you think of games, you think, and that's, to be honest, one of the objections that I ran into when I was trying to get Minecraft in the school was I was talking about games-based learning and their mind instantly went to like combat and violence and like, yes. and that kind of stuff. And so I was constantly overcoming like parents and, and frankly administrators that, that couldn't see through games in a different lens um, at all. And that was, that was challenging to me. I was thinking about, I think we have an interesting connection with the history bit. And I, I'm wondering how your students feel about history after going through this, if you, um, sure. if you've learned anything about you know, how to teach history and uh, it's super, I'm super passionate about it because I think the, the biggest mistake we're not doing is teaching history in video games. Like it's, it yeah. is the door um, to being passionate about that. And, and so I think there's a lot of reasons why it fits so well with history. One is that sometimes we tend to think of history as um, concrete decisions in the past, but in the past people had choices to make and, just, and, and, and issues to face, right? And so I'll give you an example that's not actually a video game, but it's a game. Um, so sometimes in the past when I've uh, wanted to teach students about a specific battle, what I'll do is I'll turn it to a turn-based strategy game uh, with three or four rounds uh, where you pick two sides and uh, I give them uh, sets of scenarios that are historically accurate. I let them make their decisions and I get, they get points on the quality of their thinking, right? And then I tell them what happens the next round in real events, and then we just go through this whole sequence until we get to the end. And I think this kind of sums up why I think it's effective. I did this test with a student teacher. A year after playing that game, I walked up to a kid and said, hey, do you remember what happened to Mark Antony's troops at the Battle of Actium? And she said, well, malaria. And the reason she remembered malaria is because her troops were Mark Antony's troops, and she had malaria, and she had to figure out, what the heck am I going to do, right? So I think that's where history is such a natural fit for that, 
is that you can create scenarios that make the past come alive. Another example, uh, years ago, we also used Flash uh, for a while to try and create uh, games. And so uh, we, um, I did the, 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 the programming, that sort of thing, but we built a game set in ancient Egypt uh, that was designed to teach about Egyptian culture and Egyptian life, uh, mummification and all that stuff. Uh, and it was a super cool experiment. We actually tried uh, to use an Xbox 360 Connect camera to do really simple motion capture. It was pretty jagged, but I mean, it was so much fun, right? And so the students were responsible for, um, for researching um, their particular profession. Like, what did a person who was a farmer in ancient Egypt actually do? Because they had to write that character, right? So I think there's lots of possibilities like that. And civilization, civilization is a perfect example of the sort of thing that's also possible, right? Yeah. yeah. I, will, I will mention that there's, there's actually a lesson plan in the Unreal Education uh, lesson plan library, uh, literally on almost exactly what Jim was talking about on this idea of counterfactuals in history. Um, I, I'm, I'm plugging it because I wrote it, but also because it's awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know in, in this in this lesson you have to understand the it speaks to what you're talking about that you have to understand the context in order to in order to write a counterfactual you have to understand what was what did happen and then what could happen based on the parameters that were still going on during that time so you, you have to understand the depth of the knowledge is quite a bit deeper and the retention is, is through the roof because kids remember things because they had to study, they had to know it so deeply in order to recreate it in, in the abstract or in a, in a different form. Um, and then also be able to diagram it or draw it out, or I use the word diorama to create these like dioramas of, of counterfactual experiences um, is, is really a really cool space. So check out that lesson plan. I think for the same thing, it's, it's not one of the epic things, but uh, we've, we've pushed Minecraft into our classrooms in our region, so 22 school districts uh, in western New York, and that's the first time it's been really pervasive in our area. We knew it was there, we knew it was there, the teachers didn't want it, the school districts didn't want it. Then finally they came and said, hey, can you do professional development on Minecraft, and it's been insane. Uh, of those districts, though, it's always the younger students who are diving right in, and it's grades three, four, five, and what we're seeing is the 50-50 split of ones who have no Minecraft experience, the ones who miss the boat, and the ones who play Minecraft at home but have no idea how to do it on their device at school. But what we're seeing is that same connection, whether it's history or not, we're seeing students making those connections because it's fun, it's exciting, it's invigorating. For them, it's taking the concept of we're just being consumers in that educational platform and now they're having to strike it with creativity. They're having to be involved they are getting their own implementation to show what they're learning. And I think that's been the most powerful piece, is seeing these students who are like, I want to create something incredible. So uh, an example of this is we were talking with a fifth grade teacher. He goes, you know, I've done this, this uh, ancient Greece project for so long, they just build a little diorama and we put it in a shoebox, we put it in the hallway and no one sees it because it's literally the, the last- card, Cardboard yep, and the tape yep. and the it's plasticine. The last person, yeah. the, last, the last classroom in the hallway. So I said, I said, let's do, let's do Minecraft this year. Like, let's try it out. And he was hesitant, but we showed him what it would look like. And he was like, where's the lesson plan? Well, we don't really have one. So we scoured the website. We kind of patched things together. So we combined three lesson plans together and wrote our own rubric. 
and he rolled it out. I helped out with the class for about two days, and then I went away for a week, which is fantastic, um, and left him to his own devices. When I came back, he's like, you have to come up and see this. And one of the students, they were all involved, and they're all very nice finished products, but this one was incredible. And I'm talking, I wish I had it with me, because I have it on a flash drive, and I just try to show it any chance I get. This girl took the I would say, I forget which building it was. Maybe it's the Acropolis, uh, right? Yeah. And it is probably, she did the measurements. Yeah. So she yeah. figured out the dimensions. She figured out what that would look like inside of Minecraft. She went inside, uh, did the recreation of the statue in the inside, found the materials to match, lighting, uh, pillars, everything down to the final stone. It was incredible. Then she went out and, and fixed the world around it so it looked like the landscape. I was blown away. I'm like, okay, I need to steal this for a little flyover video. I need to be able to showcase this. And it was just incredible what that student could do who was a, a self-professed. She had never touched Minecraft. And it was incredible what they were able to create. So, It's because it's what they do. Yeah. They go home and they play, right? And so, you know, if we can bring any bit of that passion for what they do at home into the school, then, you know, I think we'll I'll solve. Share, I'll share the video on Twitter later. Maybe I can find it that Yeah, later. you should, for sure. So we've talked about the past and kind of our journeys to all get to talking about video games at ISTE. Um, we've talked about the present and, you know, what, what you all are doing in the, in the classrooms and in your schools. And, and so I love to spend our last 10, 15 minutes probably 10 minutes talking about the future. We're gonna open it up to some questions at the end. Um, I'd like, love to talk about the future a little bit because um, I think that, that um, we're all pretty forward-looking folks doing, um, y'all are doing some really amazing things. I'd love to know where you think we'll be at with you know epic tools in the classroom, um, what you think you'll be doing, let's say seven years from now. I'd love to know where your head is at seven years from now. I love it. I, I'm going to ask a quick question of them first, if that's okay. So how many of you play video games? Okay. So I want you in your mind to think of your top three video games you've played, most ones you've spent the, the most time with. So for me, that's 100% Skyrim. Perfect. Yep. Uh, it's Elden Ring right now because I'm really, really bad at it. And oh. Civilizations 5 or 6 would be a tie. So the reason I ask that question, if you think the amount of collective hours you've spent playing those three things, and if you could create an environment wherein students would voluntarily spend that amount of time on the stuff they love, doesn't that sound awesome? Like, I don't know how many hours, I'm thinking hundreds of hours I've dedicated to these games. If students were working in an environment where they wanted to spend that much time and energy focusing on creativity and building things. I think that's absolutely magic, right? Like the sort of things they could build. Um, seven years from now, um, I hope to see the kind of um, interactivity that Unreal Engine provides everywhere. And I, I don't need, mean it has to be like a one-to-one -one ratio and every, every kid's using Unreal in front of them. But what I mean is that the opportunity is there, right? And it's definitely cross-curricular, so it's not limited to um, the tech classes, but it's in history class as an option. If the kids in English class can do this, and I'd also love to see a scenario where school looks a little bit more like, almost like contract work in the sense that if I'm a history teacher and I don't know how to use Unreal, but I want to create an interactive, I can quote-unquote hire uh, students 
or a class somewhere in my board or my district that does that stuff and creates an interactive experience back, right? So that we get, to me, I think that would nicely mimic what production studios, what game studios actually do, right? So that's like real world kind of training, but for a real audience, right? That's the sort of thing I envision when I think of what what looks like. It's a wild thing. idea, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I love it. So, so in seven years, that's what uh, Unreal Engine 12. I don't, I don't know, I don't know what that will look like. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I guess in seven years, I guess what I'm looking for. I, I like the idea of redesigning education. Yeah. I like the idea of seeing classrooms morph and change. And uh, going back to that story where no one came to the session to today, where we've got a room filled, and this room has been busy all day long, which has been impressive to see. I feel like at some point in time, education needs to hit that tipping point, and I'm not quite sure where it's at yet. Where that, again, that student voice and having some choice in what it is that they want to showcase, how they learn, uh, whether it's student playlists and they're going through different alternative methods and they're able to go through different lesson plans, they're able to figure out what it is. I just want my kids, because she's, my daughter's six, so I think seven years down the line, she right now is, is dabbling in Minecraft on the iPad and she really enjoys just building random things. Uh, yesterday it was a hut with a fire right in the middle um, that was... Yeah, yeah, it was very practical. It was so we she she FaceTimed me to tell me how can I change it to stop raining and there was a cow inside of her hut that would not leave. So I had to she was really worried about that was also with gamer problems. Yeah, that was also with what swag am I bringing back from the conference. Uh, so we had a real real high level conversation, but I want my daughter to have a different educational experience. I want something to be tailored to her. I want things to be meaningful. I don't want the worksheet just because a worksheet works because it's a worksheet that I've been in there for 12 years in a filing cabinet. I want the work to be meaningful. I want her to find application skills that are gonna set her up for whatever it is that she wants to do in life. And I have a son too, I'm not ignoring him. He's three, uh, he's got a long way to go. I want, I just want the educational change to keep going from, from nothing to now we're getting it into the classrooms that I expect it not to be in every classroom either, but I, I just expect teaching to change. I want there to be more choice and uh, options for students just to be involved. I like it. Well, Jim kind of took my idea, I don't know, but I'm, I'm gonna build on it, and because here's what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna twist it and say, I actually want you to challenge me so that in two years, what I would love to see happen is that we're looking at students um, changing the way, like in, in a high school right now, some kids get to do internships and they're great and we've, we've you know, had those before. But what I actually see, I would love to see it changing a little bit and having students doing smaller term like sprint projects with people. Like you're saying, commissioning a project to be done. So they could be commissioning, they will actually go out and I think in two years I could actually kind of be pushing my kids into doing this and they'll go out to a business and say, hey, would you like me to create a version of your business in twin motion would you like me to go and make this an inclusive design for people who are coming to your place of business because remember one of the things that we encountered when people were talking about students being or are some of our kids that are on the spectrum when they're going into businesses like some of those ways that the lighting affected them and some of the sounds and things were affecting them that they were adjusting the business for these people what if we started to explain it to people how they could be familiar with the business when they go in and kind of helping people feel a little bit comfortable 
And the other thing I think that I'd love to see happening is little sm startup small businesses with kids designing games. And they're actually creating games that are based on learning. Because why don't our kids like to play games in the classroom? Because the ones that they have are usually developed by curriculum people who make it like a five minute game and they just hoover, right? And they're like, I don't want to play this game. I already won it and finished it. But I will say I did have a great opportunity for the people who do math versus fractions as part of the smart board company. They came to my students um, like two weeks ago and they had them test out their game and gave them some advice on how to improve it and everything like that. Like there's more opportunities for our kids to work with game designers, but they have to figure out and game design companies who are working with curriculum. But somehow we all have to figure out how to employ minors in some way. So maybe that's like the two years from now, I'd like to see that change. And then what I would like to say is I want to see after two years that I reevaluate and push myself to the next step. Amazing. Thank you. Jim? Yeah, that like just that. made me think, that idea you just mentioned about um, working with local companies made me think of equity issues and social justice issues in the community. How cool would it be to see students um, using simulation tools like Unreal Engine or Twin Motion to meet the needs of the community in some way. Like, we want to build a park, this is what it could look like, yeah. right? Or you want to do a simulation in Unreal, changing the traffic flow in a community, right? Like, that sort of thing would be possible, too. Awesome. Teachers pay kids. Like, you could have kids making lesson plans, because you go to Teachers Pay Teachers, there's nothing there, and you go, Teachers Pay Kids, and the kids will make you your lesson plan. Like, they're ready to go. They'll make you a world. That's amazing. Uh, I'm curious how many classroom teachers are in the room? Okay, so my, my thoughts on uh, what's coming up in the next uh, seven years are for, for you guys in particular. Um, all teachers are content creators. All teachers are content creators, okay? Whether you, you, you might not stream, so you might not associate it with YouTubing, you might not associate it with podcasting, but you're all content creators. And so what I would love to see in the next five to seven years is a massive increase in the capacity of teachers to create amazing content and using tools like Twin Motion, Fortnite Creative, and Unreal Engine to do that. To build capacity so that you have the um, uh, energy and you have the will and you have the knowledge and experience and the confidence to say, I am a content creator, okay, and I am going to build incredible learning experiences for my kids. And I'm going to use tools that will light a fire under them so that they can do incredible things with these tools as well. So all you are all content creators. Act like it. Be confident. And find ways to, to continue to build amazing content. And that's kind of my goal for, for kind of the next five to seven years. And the things that I'm going to be working on is trying to empower teachers to feel like they're content creators and that they can do anything. Uh, and these tools are a really amazing way to, um, to power that and to make that happen. Um, I am going to, uh, we have just a few minutes left. How many minutes? Kathy normally would tell me by now. Oh, did she? I wasn't watching. I was, I was, I was soapboxing. We're down to two. I was soapboxing. She was raised. She was like, yeah, boy. I made eye contact. All right. If anyone has uh, a question for any of our panelists, we'd love to, to let you ask that and, and get some, some, some answers. Uh, and, and if you don't, then I'll plug the podcast. I'm going to bring my mic to you.
Yes. So um, I, uh, I'm very familiar with Epic and Unreal. I uh, work for a partner company um, mm -hmm. and work with a lot of um, enterprise companies and also in, in the high ed space. Um, and then with a lot of the CTE and STEM programs across the US. And one of the biggest things that we are starting to find is that, um, and I think a lot of folks know, is that a lot of people are not just using Unreal Engine to do games. Yeah. You're seeing it in the automotive space. You're seeing it in the M&E space. You're seeing it in product development. You're seeing it in the fashion space. So what, so what are your thoughts as far as how, how do you see bringing that into your, we were talking about the future. For me, that's what I see the future um, with Unreal and, and kind of seeing it more also with my company too. But we're talking about Unreal, which is the, the important thing. But how, how are you, are you thinking about that and bringing it into your curriculum? And, and if you see that, what, what are some of the challenges that you think that you might face? That was okay. a loaded question, but that's good. I work for a I work for a BOCES for New York State, so uh, we house one of our divisions is our CTE center, and they've seen what we've done with my trainings. They're really excited. We've had discussions already about bringing in Unreal Education into their um, automotive, uh, starting an entirely new video game section for CTE coursework. So I know in New York State that those discussions are going on on the western side of the state. I'm sure they're going on on the eastern side because um, I believe Steve came and talked to um, one of our BOCES at one of our model schools meetings. So everybody's heard it for New York State. We're definitely headed down that direction where that's coming in. Uh, I'd say the timeline's probably one to two years for getting that fully rolled out and implemented, but I know we've, we've taken to that quite quickly. Um, our photo and uh, video classes are getting started as quick as possible. Um, I think that I was going to say when I was talking about the startup idea or the businesses, one of the things that my students did do is they're bringing in their STL files into a twin motion world, like a gallery, so they can show it. And I, my idea is that I could see them actually presenting to a customer, like here's where we think this piece is going to fit, and send it to a customer. And the best part about twin motion is they can export it as a video, so your customer, or they can present it to them, so the customer doesn't need twin motion to see it, but it becomes a visual way for them to understand the product. So when my kids are going to do an internship, they're most likely going to be producing or sending this over to their customer, and it could have a lot of different ways that that application looks like to the customer, but the student will be, again, the producer for that. Yeah, and I'm going to come at this from an English teacher's perspective, if that makes sense. So um, I think sometimes when we think of video games, we have a really narrow definition of what that is, right? Um, I'm, I'm sure if you're a gamer, you have probably played a game that you don't think of as a game first, if that makes sense. So the example I would use is a game called Her Story, uh, which is brilliant. I think about that narrative first, yeah. right? Gone and home. Totally. So, and, so, and Gone Home is another perfect example of that, right? So I think if we start thinking about whatever students are playing and making as text first, I think there's a lot of openness in terms of what that could possibly look like. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, that's awesome.